Welcome to the Strategy with Jason podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on? Podcast Nation is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me another episode of Strategy with Jason. Today, I am live driving with Nate and Brett from eDirector. What's going on, guys? How you doing? Good, man. How are you? Good, good. It's uh, my first time in Philly. Uh, us as so, well. Okay, we're, cool. Then we're going to go get lost and see what beautiful, scenic things Philly has. I don't know. That's exactly. where the Phillies play right there. Is right? that where they yeah. is? It, it, oh, Bank yeah, there's Park a stadium. And, and uh, <laughs> yeah. Lincoln Financial Field. So, yeah, we're right in the, uh, we're in the heart of it all. Yes, we are. So, guys, I like to kick off all these podcasts with a little origin story, maybe because I'm selfish and I just like to hear how people got started in the business. But if we can kind of kick it off with you guys' origin story, then we'll kind of get into the girth of our conversation today. Sure. So, Nate, I'll start with you. How did you get started in this crazy little world we call the automotive industry? Uh, kind of a long story. I uh, was actually in the military. I Between I was 35, I was uh, had gotten out of the military, but I was a contractor at that time. I was a survival instructor in the Air Force. And um, I was doing the job of a 21-year-old at 35, and my body kind of said... Uh, can't keep doing this. So keep doing this. like, like thousands of other veterans, I, uh, I got into the car business, started, uh, started an internet sales actually. And, uh, did that for about six months and was, was pretty successful selling 20, 25 cars a month. And, and they quickly promoted me to finance <laughs> and, uh, and I had no idea what I was doing. I, I could sell, you know, I could sell warranties and gap and maintenance and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, I didn't know how to uh, how to read a credit report or a <laughs> bank book or or how to talk to a lender, and and uh, so I I always kind of felt like we were leaving money on the table, and yeah, and I would just basically take whatever call the the desk manager had given, and uh, use that guidance and and ran the deals, but you know, I always kind of felt like there had to be a better way, and and as I worked my my way up my career and became a finance director, and and. Uh, and, you know, now I've got people asking me to get deals bought. And, and to be honest with you, I hadn't learned anything new. You know, I mean, they they send you to schools to learn how to sell service contracts and maintenance and gap and yep. overcome objections and do menus and, and interviews. And, and there's just no school to teach you how to get a deal funded or how to get a deal bought or, is, or how to talk true. to a banker. And, you know, so, so then uh, I, I kind of reached out to some reps with, with cuddle and things like that. Just trying to see if there's any type of a guidance out there showing me, you know, who, who uses Experian or mm -hmm. Equifax or TransUnion or NADA versus Kelly Blue Book or, you know, and, and there just wasn't anything out there. And, and, uh, I'm not a computer guy. <laughs> Tried to, you know, make an Excel spreadsheet type deal and that, <laughs> that, was it. that didn't work very well. And, <laughs> you know, and like everybody else, I had an old three ring binder in the back of my office of where, got a bunch of bank sheets and you know they update every month or two months or six months or once a year you never know and and you know by the time you find a lender you look at their rate sheet and it's six months old so now you got to go dig up the new one and it was just yeah. a giant nightmare so so uh yeah it kind of came up with the idea of of e-director which is basically a, a digital bank book if you want to call it that and we just we take all the lenders and and then it was a matter of figuring out how to make the idea work and 
and uh, and that's where that's where Brett, <laughs> that's, Brett that's where Brett came in. That's where Enter Brett came Brett. in. Yep. Enter so, Brett. So right, Brett, how did you get started in this crazy yeah, world? Well, so I, I've been in technology for 20 years and know everything there is know about technology, but absolutely nothing about the automotive industry. <laughs> and I bump into this guy when I had temporarily moved to Whitefish, Montana, and you know, I've, I, through the years I've had. Tons of people always had the best ideas, right? Oh, hell, if you could just build this for me. Oh, if you could just build this. And, you know, I've learned to ignore a lot of those because a lot of them are just, uh, you know, would have been a waste of time. Sure. But Nate, being the good sales guy he is, after about a year of me kind of ignoring him, he uh, sounded like a great idea. I just knew nothing about the auto industry. So why on earth, you know, it's not something I wanted to get into. <laughs> so, <laughs> but somehow it's like that black hole. It kind of sucks you in, right? So, yes, it does. Um, anyhow, it's, it, uh, we, went ahead and decided to go ahead and build something after a few drinks and a few decisions. And next thing you know, we, we were off to the races. So, so that's how I stumbled into, uh, stumbled into the auto industry. He director. I think it is, so. And never looked back. Right. And never looked back. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. you know what, that's how a lot of us get started though. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I find that, you know, either, either we're born into the business yeah. or we fall or stumble into the business mm-hmm. or maybe like me, you got conned into the business. <laughs> Um, but you know, I, I love the fact, uh, or the topic that you guys are, or the space that you guys are in, because it's a topic I don't normally get to jam too much about. Right. So I'm kind of excited to kind of have this conversation because to, to, to your point, Nate, like there isn't a whole lot of, you know, conver- or training or just systems or technologies in general when it comes, you know, to, to helping the finance manager execute what they need to execute on basis right so let, let's kind of let's start there you know because I, I think with any good piece of technology we have to define the process and then work backwards towards the technology itself right so let's start with the process what was the process that you guys kind of set out to you know solve or better yeah so basically right now depending on where you're at in the country and, and what systems you use if you've got you know dealer track usually you have either dealer track or route one mm-hmm. and you may have cuddle as well um, you know, Cuddle is going to be credit unions where dealer tracker Route 1 is going to be more on the bank side, but also a mixture of some credit unions as well. Yep. And so one of the big problems is, you know, having to go back and forth between two different sites to figure out, you know, what lender to use. And you typically, you know, you get lazy and you learn five or six lenders and, you know, you, you meet the bank reps and, and maybe they take you golf or, <laughs> or maybe they're attractive or, or whatever reason you decide to send them a bunch of business or maybe they get the best deal too. But in most cases, it was somebody that, you know, is more of a, a relationship type buyer. Yep. And um, and so what we do is we take literally every single lender that a dealership has access to mm-hmm. and we take those, those rate sheets and, you know, through a proprietary system that we have and, and it's all patent pending and but basically, in a lot, in a nutshell, we take all of the lender information, we put it into our database, and then we pull the the data from the uh, CRM at the dealership. Okay. So there's not a lot of manual entries that's needed, and based on the structure of the deal and the the credit worthiness of the customer with their credit report or their credit scores, uh, where they live is important. Their zip code because a lot of lenders will only lend to certain areas. The structure of the deal, book values. And then the year of the vehicle, we basically decipher every rate sheet and we give the information that's published on the rate sheet to the user, showing them who has the best rate and who has the best front end advance and how much you can sell a service contract for or gap policy or 
uh, what the flats will be, mm-hmm. uh, if you can mark up the rate or not. And if you can mark the rate up, how long, how much can you mark it up? And so you compile all this kind of data into one place. Cause I remember, yep. you know, when I worked the box, I had to do this all manually. Yep. You know, you, you brought up Excel sheets, you know, earlier and I, yes, I had, I was actually got pretty proficient with Excel sheets. I remember when I went into the box, I could barely make an Excel sheet if my life depended on <laughs> right. it. And, and, and the, the year and a half I spent there, I was a pro by the time I got out. So, I mean, that, but that was a pretty daunting task. I mean, I would probably, because everything gets reset. Well, some banks would set monthly, some would reset quarterly. Uh, but just the time to take to create that, what you just spoke of, it could take me eight hours, at least a full day, oh, yeah. if not two, just to update my sheets so yep. that I knew what everyone's rates were. And I could easily create that matrix, go down, figure out which banks I was actually going to submit to. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I was one of the few FNI managers that did that. You know, most of them just, they had their main two or three, right? And that was it. They just went to them. They didn't even think anything else about it. And they left so much money on the table. Yep. So, you know, from a, right from a tech perspective, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, probably gone a lot farther than my old crappy Excel sheets. All right. How do you compile this data and put it into an easy place, an easy way for everyone to read it? So the easiest way to say is we have a funnel more or less. The funnel, you know, we have a system that everything has to go into one format. Um, Once it's in our system and how we get it in there, you know, is is the proprietary piece. But now that it's in there, it's easy to search on. Right. So now you can just put the deal structure in and say, okay, boom, show me the 20 lenders very easily or however, however many lenders you have access to here, are all of the ones you have access to, mm-hmm. here's the front end advanced back end and all the details easily to sort, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of where the magic is, is it's kind of, to your point, it's an, an extremely fancy Excel spreadsheet that stays. We obviously take on the, the, uh, the chore of keeping those up to date, you know, three times a week we're, we're going through every single lender in the, you know, for your dealership to make sure it's constantly up to date. So um, now I, I think a lot of things, I mean, obviously look, a lot of things have changed the last 24 months. Right. But I think a lot has changed for the box for sure. Um, you know, look, sales changed, but per, mainly just because of circumstances in the environment. Right. Like it, it was either wherever you were in the, in, in the world, either you were in shutdown or lockdown. Um, and then there was an inventory shortage, but the box changed a lot. Right. Uh, in a lot of cases, we couldn't even do a turnover face to face. So, so much has changed. So, I'd love to kind of hear, get your guys' thoughts, each of you, of how the FNI department has changed in the last twenty four months, and where do you see it going in the next twenty four months? That's a great question. I was, uh, I was actually in finance. I was still in the box when COVID started. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the biggest things I saw is we went from you know seventy five to eighty percent of our deals were finance deals at the, at the dealership. Mm-hmm. And during COVID, that changed to maybe 60%. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't that more people were paying with cash. It was that more of our deals were outside finance where, you know, the customers weren't coming into the dealership. They were all going through the internet sales department. We weren't getting an opportunity in, in the finance and a lot of times to, to even present rates to the customer. They would show up with a check from a credit union. And in a lot of cases, it was a credit union that we could have even sent them to and got a one and a half or two and a half percent flat and had a chance to sell gap insurance and service contracts and all of that. And, and the reason I feel that we missed out on most of those is because we weren't very transparent on our website. Uh, and, and we were super aggressive as far as our, 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 that's not the right word. Um, 
we weren't aggressive on our interest rates. We were um, aggressive to make a lot of profit and showing, you know, 4.9 or 3.9. Yeah, one rate across the whole board for everything. Right. And, you know, if you've got somebody with a, with a 750 credit score, you know, we, we ran a, um, a test on over 3,000 deals that have been ran through eDirector. And yeah. the, the average interest rate for a tier one is 2.44, right? Is that what yeah, came back at? 2.44. And all that was required to, to reach that rate was a 725 credit score. Um, that's the average credit score for a tier one. And so when, when you figure, especially in the area we were in, uh, mm -hmm. in Montana, you know, I would say a high majority of our customers were in that tier one tier. And if we're advertising 3.9 and they can go get 2.4, you know, they're already online buying vehicles. They're, you know, and, and I just feel like that's the next step that, that more and more people are doing who are buying outside of the dealership and, and not wanting to come in and sign paperwork is they're, yeah. they're, they have more time on their hands. Um, they're working from home and, you know, I know that working from home versus working in an office, there's a little bit more freedom sometimes. Well, and, there's more and, time, right? So yep. I, I can do more research. Exactly. And, and what it sounds like you're saying is that we're not just researching the vehicle, but now we're researching the entire process and everything that gets involved in purchase. Yep. You know, I was talking to an insurance guy and he was you're almost saying the exact same thing, right? Where it, like the amount of time spent on an insurance site wasn't just a matter of, I just need it, let's get it done. But a lot of research was happening at the same time. Brent, what have you seen that has been a big change in the last 24 months? Well, what I can say just since I've been, I've only been in the auto industry now for what I would call a year, year and a half, <laughs> but in that time and never worked in the box, but it, it is, pretty blatantly obvious that the customers are driving change to everything, right? Where yeah. using technology used to be optional, right? You didn't have to use it to get a deal done. And now it's with the new wave of things that are coming through through COVID and everything else is technology is a requirement now. So now trying to be, you know, dealerships need to be open-minded obviously to, okay, we, we, we need to see all the new technologies that are coming out and how can we maximize every deal that we're doing to in turn, either shorten the time to close the deals or, or, or get more profit out of each deal. So, um, so yeah, I can't specifically answer how it's changed in the box per se, but I do know technology is absolutely, a, that's, that, that's not going away anytime soon. So, well, no, then so, Brent, what I'll do is I'll push, I'll start with you and then Nate, I'll come back to you. Where do you see it going mm. over the next, let's say 24, maybe even up to the next 36 months. I don't know. You know, I, I would have to say, God, I mean, I, I don't know that I can even answer that question, really. Honestly, it's uh, where is it going? More and more technology is going to happen. But I feel like so many things are changing so fast right now yep. with the dealerships and with inventory. And uh, you have some dealer uh, uh, manufacturers like Ford that are talking about they're, they're not even wanting to keep inventory at all. It's build your car. Build, you know, That's so, it. So build ahead of time and then we'll ship it to you. So I will honestly say that I think at some point the dealerships are going to be somewhat of a middleman that may or may not, uh, you know, they're going to start losing ground over the next 10 years, I'd say. But, but I mean, I think in general, I mean, you're, you're, you're hundred percent right that, you know, the, the big shift is going to be in, um, more technology mm -hmm. going back to process, right? Mm -hmm. well, the one thing that we got a big taste of, you know, during the last 24 months was being able to do a lot with a little. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so, so when we think of these processes that were very, let's say time intensive processes, you know, for example, generating those Excel sheets and keeping them updated. That was an incredibly, you know, time intensive, you know, project. Mm -hmm. And and I think that it's going to be kind of the future of the next 24 and 36 months. You're going to see more systems like this, especially in the F&I office, because, you know, 
salespeople don't get it. Right. The amount of time it takes in a box to get a deal done, you know, they just they think we're a bunch of paper jockeys, right? But it's right. it really I think it's one of the few places in a dealership that really does still require um it's an art an art form. Like you kind of just have to know, you know, who's buying, what they're buying, how often they're buying, and how you're presenting the information is big. So, Nate, I, I'll, I'll ask you now, how do you see sure. us progressing or the box progressing over the next 24, 36 months? Uh, and, and to be honest with you, that was one of the reasons. I mean, I've, I've had this idea for eDirector for four or five years, you know, yeah. as I was making Excel spreadsheets and all these other things. And, and, and one of the reasons I really ramped it up was... I feel like the writing's on the wall. I, I think that the finance office um, is going to be a thing of the past the way we see it now, where it's the guy behind the curtain and come back and we'll, you know, finally disclose to you what your real interest rate's going to be and and you know, all the smoke and mirrors that we still see today, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and holding rate. Um, I think that's going to come to an end, whether it's forced upon us by the administration or or the dealerships themselves, uh, more and more dealers are going away from paying, you know, full uh, commissions on on reserve. You know, they they want more of their money put into products. Yep. Uh, with the remittance and everything, and and you know the packs that they can put on all the products, and and so it's more profitable for a dealer, obviously, to be selling um, products versus just holding rate, and especially non cancelable products. Uh-huh. So. I, I feel like you're going to have to be more transparent. Yes. Uh, you're going to have to be more aggressive. You know, you can sign somebody up, hold two points and, you know, have a $2,500 reserve. And that sounds great when they leave your of office. Course, of course but, is. you know, two weeks later, when you get your chargeback report and you see that they went and refinanced at a credit union down the road that you could have sent them to, yep. maybe made $300, $400 less on the deal, but you would have kept it all, yep. you know, and... um and, and that's something I started to learn at the end of my uh, time in the box was, you know, running $2,500 or $3,000 a copy with, with 15% chargebacks isn't, that, isn't okay. that great yeah. uh, versus if you can run $2,200, $2,300 a copy, have 5% chargebacks and really happy customers who felt like you got them a good interest rate, felt like they got a good deal and, you know, so that was kind of, I had a, I had a come to Jesus talk, you know, with, with my GM and. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I'm, I felt like I was running great numbers, better, way better than everybody else. But sure. I didn't have a ton of happy customers that were always leaving my office. And so, um, you know, so I, I kind of took a strategy change in, in my head and it took a little while to do it. But, you know, once we did, the numbers really didn't change. And we had happier customers buying more products, being protected, protecting the dealership. And and I just think that that's going to be the the way things uh, are going to have to be. And, and if not, then it's going to go more and more to the A to Z shop where the salesman well, literally goes happen. from point A to point B. And, and I don't know that exactly. that's the best way either, but I can tell you that the, the dealerships that have done it, their customers have never been happier. You know, there, there is the transparency. There's not the well, passing off from because, one person because, to the yeah, next. Exactly, because you're looking at the transaction as a whole, not as a, yep. as a, as, as a stepping stone. Right. Yep. And I mean, look, if you think of some of the best experiences, you know, we've ever had, right. Either restaurants or hotels or just with people in general, it's the first and last ex- last impression that actually ultimately generates the entire experience. Right. And, you know, how often we've seen this happen where the, the first, you know, the first impression of the dealership is wonderful. And then that last impression usually is in the box. Oh, yeah. It's usually where it always happens. 
and it just destroys. It just destroys everything, right? And you know, I think a lot of dealerships have to balance out profitability and experience. But I think that person that has that mindset around being able to balance profitability and experience is an entirely different person. And I think you know what that persona looks like. You know, that person that works in the box. I think that has to change. Over the next, you know, over the next two to three years. So let, let me let me ask you guys that question. Nate, I'll start with you, and then Brett, I'll come back to you and ask you. Um, what do you see that person look like, uh, in that that should be working the box over the next few years? Uh, I mean, I think it's going to be a hybrid. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be. It's going to have to be somebody that's flexible mm-hmm. and that's trainable or coachable um, to to try new processes. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to be the 25 year old vet who's been back there forever and has done it his way and isn't, isn't willing to change. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's going to, you know, it, I think it takes a, a special person too. It, it takes somebody who's, who's smart and, um, you know, isn't just an order taker. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it, it's the, the plan is proven that it, that it does work. Um, you know, and, and I think a lot of it boils down to CSI once again, you know, yeah. when you, when you, as you were talking about the, you know, making sure the customers are happy, typically if you're going to have a, uh, a CSI ding, it's going to be either on finance or paperwork process or which yep. is typically one in the same. And, um, you know, by having that transparency from the start, I, I just think it's going to be, you know, better for everybody, including the customer at the end. And, and, you know, typically the happier the customer, the more they spend. And, and I, I don't, I just don't see a negative and, and going that route. And being but more no, I look, look, I'm totally with you. I think that person is going to be a lot more tech savvy than they ever mm-hmm. have been in the past. Brett, I'd love to kind of get your thoughts. I know, and, and, I, and I think this is cool, Brett, because you haven't been in the automotive industry, mm-hmm. right? But I know you bought in a car before. Right. Um, right. So you know what that box experience is yep. like. Yep. What do you think that persona should be moving forward? So what I do think we're, what I can imagine it's inevitable is to his point, the man behind a curtain is going to kind of have to go away and the, the streamlining that whole financial process, right? Like right now there's still, some of these lenders are still kind of, you know, maybe they approve it, maybe they don't shotgun (laughs) it out to five lenders. You know, obviously our tool helps with that piece to keep from shotgunning it out to five lenders, but there's still the the turnaround time from the time me as a customer walks into the dealership yes. and I get to leave with my car. Um, even if I know exactly what I want, I know exactly what I'm willing to pay, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's still a, there's a, I don't know what it takes now four you know, four hours or something like that, minimum three maybe. But um, I do see that changing and that will come through more automation, I think. And I do think the lender process as well uh, from the guy in the box is probably going to be my hope would be doing a lot less as far as having to guess what you work with the lenders is going to be more of a, you know, automated approval somehow. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that looks like exactly, but I'm certain it's going to be streamlined. Well, I, I think that time is going to come back to them. Mm-hmm. So what they do with that time is going to be the make and break mm-hmm. right now. If they take that, that, that newfound time and they really hone in their, um, their abilities to provide a great experience. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be where that time should be spent. Now, Unfortunately, though, I think that time brought back is just going to be spent in just selling additional product. <laughs> I hope that's not the case, but I've you know that we've seen that happen in the industry before, right? We'll go and create a, a process. We support it with technology. We 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 save time. We bring that time back, 
And then what do we do with it? We find some other stupid, stupid thing to spend that time on. <laughs> yeah. So guys, we're here at the IS20 conference, and I know it's only the first day, but mm -hmm. I'd love to kind of hear your guys' uh, takeaways. Like, what have you guys heard so far that was really like, ah, yes, an aha moment? Brett, I'll start with you, and then Nate, I'll ask you the same question. Uh, you know, we've heard we've heard a lot of different speakers. This part we may almost have to cut out because I'll be honest. I, as of yet, this is yeah. Let's let's trim all this part out. Sure. Um, here we can bypass that all together. Yeah, I'll go bypass. straight. I'll go straight to the yeah. exit. Okay. I, like Nate, I don't know if you have anything valuable to add. I feel like, you know, I mean, honestly, guys, it was, I was, I was, I was hunting for another question. I was in. So I mean, I, 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 I mean, I like, could speak on it. Um, I mean, I think, I think these type of things are, are not necessarily about who's speaking and who's doing the presentations and, and, you know, because everybody who's doing a presentation for the most part has a hidden agenda of some sort. Yes. Um, I mean, I'm doing a presentation on, uh, you know, um, uh, increasing gross profit through lender management. Uh, obviously, I, I want people to buy my product and I want people to use our product, but I do feel like there's lessons that we can teach, right? We can, you know, for instance, we can use stats that I never would have, I, I never would have known that the average uh, credit score needed for a tier one is a 725, mm -hmm. you know, and by doing all the deals that we do, we can pull that data, right? So I think you have to read between the lines on, on where they're trying to steer you, um, sure. you know, because most of the presentations are done by vendors. So, you know, I think there's that, um, but, you know, we've gone to a few of these different conventions now and, and whether it's been this one or, um, uh, internet, you know, or, or excuse me, uh, finance F and I yeah. groups or digital dealer or whatever. It's, it's more about the networking for me, um, about meeting new people and sure. getting a chance to, to do this podcast. We never would have got to do this podcast, at least in this environment, if, if we weren't here. <laughs> That's and, true. and, um, you know, so, you know, you, you, meet some new people and then the next thing, you know, you're invited to, to be on a, um, on a clubhouse interview and, and, you know, people start hearing your name and, you know, we signed up five dealerships from a clubhouse that just kind of went off on a tangent and, and brought our name up. And then they, I got a, I got a text message from one of the guys that was there and yeah. he said, Hey, get on here. And I got on there and we signed up five accounts, you know? So, um, never would have had those type of opportunities if it wasn't for going to these type of, um, deals. And, well, and I think you know, events like this, you, you extract what you can out of it. For right? sure. You know, when I was a dealer principal, I, I did craft a time or, or carve time out of my weekly schedule to uh, learn from vendors and what their products were, right? Yeah. And what they were selling, yeah. you know? Because I think even when someone's pitching me uh, on a just 100% sales pitch, all right, I'm still learning from what the product ultimately does. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think there's value, but you just have to be able to extract it. Okay, guys, uh, we've covered some really cool topics today. And I still think they're, especially around the F&I office, the box. Hey, I hate the background. Way. Right. All right. But but I think we did, we did cover some pretty cool topics and there's still more to be said about that for everybody out there that's watching and listening right now who would maybe like to continue, you know, some of this conversation with you guys. Uh, what's the best way to connect with you both? Um, Facebook or LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on both of those. Our, our website, uh, shameless plug, www.edirectorllc.com. Uh, there's a video on there where you can um, go on and, and try out the product, see how it works. And then there's a contact button on there as well where they can send us a, a link and, uh, and and we can reach out and contact them. Perfect. Guys, I really appreciate you taking the time to jam with me today. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Thank you.